This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I am your host. And joining me, as always, Dr. Richard Blackaby. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's always our pleasure, Richard. Uh, we love to hear from listeners. Uh, we've mentioned this before. Uh, you can always reach out to us, either directly to Richard on any of his sh- social media platforms, of which there are many, and uh, uh, he still is posting puns, unfortunately, Hallelujah. to the dismay of thousands <laughs> who have to uh, mute his feed on their Facebook pages, but, you know, that's a, that's a different the thing. The small price to pay to get to all the meat. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a podcast all its own that we will uh, have yet to, to tackle that, that issue of puns. And their and their place in humor, um, but uh, like I said, we we like to hear from our uh, from our listeners, and we have one listener who's written in uh, to our uh, email. It's podcast at blackbee.org. If you'd like to submit a question or a comment or feedback, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but this is from Verna, and she uh, has been reading uh, Numbers twenty verse 12, and I'll read that, and then I'll, I'll ask her question. It says, Because you did not believe me to hallow, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And obviously this is Moses, God speaking to Moses. And so her question is really essentially what does it mean to hallow the name of God uh, in your life and your behavior uh, what does that look like for a believer today? Yeah, and I think uh, just reading her uh, her email, I think she had uh, perhaps read, uh, been reading uh, in our book on uh, living out of the overflow, where we really go into that in some detail. Well, actually, she had actually been reading another one of your books, uh, Joshua, Joshua called to be God's okay. leader. Yeah, yeah, I knew she'd been so reading two book one of our plugs book. there, Richard. Good job. Yeah, two books in one. All can be found uh, at blackabystore.org. <laughs> and if you know that story, there, Numbers twenty, Moses has. Uh, done all these amazing miracles, uh, has delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Then they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so by the time you get to Numbers 20, the the wilderness wandering is just drawing to a close. And after 40 years of waiting to get in the, the wilderness, uh, into the promised land, uh, now they're, they're finally breaking camp. They're beginning to move uh, toward the promised land. And Moses is thinking, after all this long wait, it looks like finally I'm going to get across that Jordan River and uh, get to experience the land flowing with milk and honey. But as you remember that story in, in Numbers 20, uh, they, the people begin to complain because there's no water. And God tells Moses and says, well, gather the elders together, take your rod, and then speak to the rock, and water will come out, and there'll be enough water for all the people. And you remember back much earlier, uh, some 40 or so years earlier, uh, the Israelites had lacked water and God had told them a similar thing, but he, he said, gather the, the elders together, but take your rod and strike the rock and water will come out. And so Moses had done that in uh, Exodus 17 and all was fine. And now some, perhaps as, as many as 40 years later, 
they've got a similar problem. When you live in a in a desert, it's you know a lack of water is not all that uncommon. Yeah. But uh, but this time, uh, God t- just changes it up just slightly. He just says this time instead of striking the rock with your rod, I want you just to talk to the rock, speak to it. Um, but when the time comes, Moses, in a fit of anger, looks at those elders that have been frustrating him for 40 years, and he says, here now, you rebels, must must we bring water for you out of this rock? And that that word, we, is troublesome because he is taking credit for what only God can do. Moses never brought water out of anything, but he assumes that he and God are kind of doing this together. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then instead of speaking to the rock like God told him to, he strikes the rock. So he's blatantly disobeyed God, and and perhaps even worse, he has touched God's glory by t- talking as if the the water comes because of him as much as from God. And as you know, God says, and interestingly, God does bring water from the rock, yeah. uh, which is a whole story about the grace of God. But then, but when it's all said and done, uh, God says to Moses, you're not coming in now uh, because you did not hallow me before the people. You did not treat me as holy. And that's a very powerful word uh, for leaders because... You remember Moses, if you read the end of the very last couple of verses in the book of Deuteronomy, I mean, it is pretty awesome describing Moses and the miracles he did and the fact that he spoke to God face to face and so on. And just uh, no one had ever walked with God that way. And yet when he does not treat God as holy, uh, he ends up being told, okay, I know you've dreamed your whole life of going into the promised land, taking God's people there, but you're not going now because you did not treat me as holy. And so um, I think if you're a leader especially, I think it behooves all of us to understand what it means to treat God as holy because mm-hmm. uh, God doesn't change. And if God is concerned back in Moses' day about how his people treat him, he's just as concerned today. And, uh, and so of course to be holy means you're different. You're not, you you don't treat God like you treat any other person. You don't treat him like he's your friend, uh, like a colleague, like some person at work you're frustrated with. Um, God is far, far above that. And to, to, uh, to be holy means he's special. He's pure. Uh, he's undefiled. He's blameless. Uh, and 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 so and and you know that you are not. Uh, he is unlike you. He is above you. Uh, and so, uh, when Moses just blatantly disobeys uh, God in front of all the people, uh, he is treating God as if I know what God said, but I'm just not going to do it. Uh, I don't care who God is. I'm going to do things my way, not His way. And uh, and and the the thing that makes this particularly bad. I remember. Moses had murdered someone earlier, and murder doesn't keep Moses from going into the promised land. God still uses him after committing murder, but when Moses does not hallow God, that in many ways has a a much more devastating uh, impact on him. Now, now murder cost him 40 years in the wilderness. It was not like he didn't pay a price for that, but he still had 
the the option of going on into the promised land then uh, mm. uh, but he but but not treating God with the respect he deserves is a whole nother matter and um, and so I I think the question is as a leader how do you how do you lead in a way in which you treat God as holy as how do you hallow God, maybe when you're working in a secular workplace, maybe you work for a publicly traded company, uh, but can you can you still lead in a way in which you never diminish uh, the name of God in front of your people? Uh, which is, I think, an important question. And and you know, I think that there are just um, in some ways, I think maybe in America it's even more so. We have a tendency. Uh, to treat everybody as equal. I know in Canada, especially, that was kind of the way. You didn't put anybody on a pedestal in Canada. Yeah, it was uh, everybody tall was tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, just everyone. You don't want anyone to think they're better than the, the other person. But um, and so sometimes we're we're not very comfortable at treating someone as uh, much greater uh, than than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember uh, when I was in seminary, I was a history major, and and my my major professor was a man named Dr. Leon Macbeth, and he was uh, a brilliant man, had written, written the textbook, written the d- definitive work on uh, the area of history that I was focusing on. Uh, and he, but he also, he was a funny kind of guy. He was, uh, was kind of like an aristocratic Southern gentleman, <laughs> is the way he, he talked. He was very educated and very... <clears throat> Uh, sort of aristocratic in his demeanor, in a sense, but uh, he did not tolerate disrespect in his class. Boy, I tell you what, if you if you started talking to someone next to you when he was lecturing, he he would call you out. Uh, I remember in a PhD seminar one time, uh, there was a student who was uh, called upon to to answer a question on the reading that we had done the week before, and I mean. You had to do I, I, probably 150 to 200 pages of reading every week just for his seminar. And then out of those 200 pages, in front of the whole class, he could just call on you and say, well, what did the, the author mean by this on page 175? And you just had to start answering it. And uh, and there was a guy in the class, I remember, he, he got called on and he just got put on the spot. And he panicked. And everybody's looking at him and he's having trouble recalling it. And uh, he starts stuttering and muttering and is embarrassed. And finally, the prof- professor, Dr. Macbeth, just basically stopped him and said, let's just put an end to this misery right now. And then he gave us a whole speech on how coming to class unprepared was grounds to be thrown out of the entire program. And uh, mm-hmm. that was no easy program to get into, I'll tell you. It was... Uh, to get in that program, you had to pass a 17-hour written test. You had to have a very high uh, GPA. You had to submit a, uh, a doctoral-level paper that was evaluated. You had to take a, a, sev- a, a big sort of intelligence exam. You had to have a bunch of just a bunch of stuff, applications and different things. Uh, you had to have two years of German, a year of French. So to do all of that to get in the program and then one day to kind of muff your your uh, question and then get thrown out was was you just felt like you were on pins and needles all the time so uh, this guy so the professor that day 
gave us a speech about how we could, any one of us could be thrown out of the entire program just for being unprepared one day. Um, and he got up and just walked out. And it's a three-hour seminar. We, we've only been going about 15, 20 minutes. And he just never, the professor never came back. And this guy was just humiliated in front of the whole hmm. room. And I think the guy, I think the professor ultimately felt bad about it because I, that student didn't come back for two weeks. And I think he finally met with the professor. And I think the professor realized that the guy had done his reading, just he, that wasn't his field. And he was, he, he just felt intimidated in that setting and so on. And he was eventually admitted back, although he, he had, was half the man I think he was before that. Uh, so all that to say, a very intimidating guy, uh, if you got in his bad books, uh, and so years later, I did pass. Uh, I I was I had to take a three-hour oral exam with that man in the room, along with some others, uh, to to get my PhD. But uh, so years later, I'm a I'm a seminary president, and I invite that professor to come and teach at our seminary for I think it was maybe a month-long class. And so. So one day I invite him to come for dinner with he he's his wife is with him and I invite him and his wife for dinner at my house and this guy was he was my major professor he he had to sign off on my my dissertation or else I wasn't going to pass uh, he had to be in my corner uh, to recommend that I be given a PhD and now he's my dinner guest and so we we have dinner and then we we kind of retire to the uh, to the living room and and uh, I had gave him coffee and some dessert and and then uh, we, we're visiting and uh, and then I just uh, I saw that his coffee was gone and I just said Dr. Macbeth uh, can I get you some more coffee and he looked at me and and he had this sort of slow kind of southern sort of accent and drawl but he just said oh Richard he said you have a PhD, I have a PhD. He said, you're a seminary president. He said, I'm a professor at a seminary. He said, we're, we're colleagues now. Uh, we're, we're on equal footing, he said. And you, you ha- there's no need for you to still refer to me as Dr. Macbeth. He said, you, you're certainly free now just to call me Leon, and which is his first name. And I'll never forget, as he said that to me, uh, I just said, uh, Dr. Macbeth, <laughs> you will always be Dr. Macbeth to me because yeah. you were in a position of authority and power over me and my very future hung in the balance, uh, with your, uh, decisions. And, uh, and I just, I respected his knowledge and expertise and study and, and I just felt much, much better about continuing to hold him up, even though technically I was in a higher position now than he was in the administration of a school. Uh, and I mean, he was just a human being, and he was very fallible and frail, and he, and he, he did not need to be treated wholly the way God is treated as holy. But, uh, but just to say, even with a person, I, I found it difficult to, to try to treat them like I was an equal with them. And I, because I had such respect for him. And yet, if that's the case with a teacher that I had in school, uh, how much more should it be when I'm dealing with God? Mm-hmm. And so to, to, to talk about God, to pray to God, uh, to the way you obey God, when, when people say, 
I know what God wants me to do, but I'm just wrestling with him about that, or I'm just not sure I really want to do that, or I just don't believe God would really want me to not be happy. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, I don't want to get too far into this, but I think sometimes as ministers, the way we dress and represent God, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we talk about God, um, there's a lot of ways, I think, where we can disrespect God. And God cares about uh, how we represent him. Obviously, he does, because Moses represented God poorly to the people, and and God um, punished him severely for it. And I think one other thing just about Moses' example is that the way he— I think there's ways where you can disrespect God privately, and then there's ways you can disrespect him publicly. And I think that that's really, I think, why Moses was punished so severely. Because mm-hmm. if it had just been him and God, maybe in a prayer time, and and Moses just got really frustrated and poured his heart out to God about what he was frustrated about, I think God would have probably dealt with that privately with him. But when you disrespect God in public, uh, on the stage, for other people to watch and be influenced by now you've taken it to another level. And, and what I've found typically when it comes to sin is that when you sin privately, oftentimes God will punish you, deal with you privately, not always. Sometimes he'll shout it from the rooftops. Uh, but when you do something that's public or with other people, uh, then, uh, then God will deal with you publicly. And certainly Moses had done this before all the leaders of Israel, and uh, because he did it that way, uh, he's, you can only imagine when Israel's getting ready to finally cross into the, the, the promised land, and there's Moses walking on up uh, onto a mountain where he's going he's gonna to die, where he's going to spend his last days mm. and not go in. And you can only imagine the the trembling that took place in the, among the Israelites, thinking if if Moses couldn't get away with treating God without the respect that he deserves, then certainly we can't either. And there's several places in the Bible, and some in Jeremiah 5 and Isaiah 66 and some other places where, where God basically says, will you not tremble at my presence, or will you not tremble at my word? And, um, and God is basically saying, will you not hallow me? Will you not, every time you pray, every time you even just turn your thoughts and focus on God, is there not just a, almost a holy trembling in your spirit that says, he's not like anyone else. And so the way I relate to him, the way I represent him, the way I speak about him, I want to just be so careful that I never, even inadvertently, maybe you're at work at a secular company and you're talking with unbelievers. Uh, and yet you want to be so careful never to represent God in a way that is less than who he is, to somehow diminish uh, people's view of God because of what you say, how you act. Um, and and so I think that's an important question, Verna, just um, a lot. We could, we could take a lot of time to unpack that, but, yeah. but as a leader, you're on stage. That's, that's part of what it means to be a leader. You're you're on stage, people are watching, you do have an influence, and God cares about uh, when people see how you lead, will they think more of your God or less of your God based on what they saw of you 
while you were on the leadership stage. Yeah. We've got one more question from Verna, but we'll do that uh, right after this break. I'm very excited about the online class that BMI is offering, When God Speaks. This is the first book I ever wrote with my father and perhaps one of the most important issues you'll ever address. How do you know when God is speaking to you? God speaks in many different ways uh, and God always has something life-changing, something crucial that he wants to communicate with you. You can't afford to miss what God has to say to you. Sometimes he may speak out loud, but often he speaks in numerous other ways as well. And you need to be alert to the numerous ways God may be wanting to communicate his will with you. This is a six-week course in which we'll look at all the major issues related to God speaking to his people. It's full of videos and studies that you can do, um, and I know it will bless your life as you look very carefully at the various ways God may be wanting to communicate with you in these very important days in which we live today. Well, I'm certain that we could spend a number of uh, episodes on unpacking all that went into that uh, that uh, episode with Moses there at the at the very end of their uh, exile in the in the wilderness. Uh, and you've written whole books on it, in fact, as we mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, and I think uh, certainly Joshua book touches on that. But yeah. a lot of people don't know about that Joshua book. But it's a great book on leadership. Uh, I really enjoyed writing with my dad, but. But also, I really get in very specifically a very focused study on that in the book, uh, Living Out of the Overflow. Yeah. And if you're really interested in just looking at those issues, we, we get into them in a lot of detail. There. Yeah, well, there's a lot there. There's, yeah. and, and this is certainly more of an overview uh, than, than really digging into it. Um, but a, a follow-up question um, to that would be um, uh, that, that Verna has was... Uh, the the differences between uh, times of testing uh, and and building or shaping our character. Um, she references a, a study of Abraham, um, and they had a, a lot of great discussions about that. But uh, w- when God tests us as leaders, um, what are the times of testing for, um, and how to know the difference between that and and shaping or developing our character. Yeah, I think that she may be referring to a book that uh, Dad wrote on the life of Abraham, uh, Called to Be God's Friend. It's a great, great book that Dad wrote a number of years ago. Uh, but uh, again, interesting question. Uh, sometimes God is working on our character, and so that can oftentimes involve hardship, crises, challenges. It's a uh, typically God doesn't teach us to be more humble by just blessing us, by just letting everything we do be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, if he's going to humble us, if he's going to make us more dependent on him, if he's going to make us more sensitive to people, um, then he may have to get our attention in some painful ways. Uh, and uh, and then there's other times where it seems as if God is testing us. And, um, and so Verna's asking are those different and how can you tell if what you're going through right now is a test or if it's just some more character building? It would kind of an interesting question. Uh, and again, there are a lot of things I could, I could say about that. Uh, but one, one way I would see it is God's always building our character. And I think that's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why 
in various ways. I mean, you may have life in a good, a pretty good place right now, uh, and yet oftentimes there'll be at least one area of tension in your life, uh, one area of stress. Uh, you know, life may overall be great right now, but there's usually something that's pushing you a little bit, uh, stretching mm-hmm. you. And I think that's going to be common throughout your life. And every solitary time you face one of those stretching kind of moments in your life, you have to realize, and, and certainly you, you want to be processing those, assessing those with God. So yeah. whatever it is that's kind of a stressor in your life right now, you need to be putting that down in your, your journal. And, and as you're reading scripture, just see what God says about that. Uh, maybe you sense God's really trying to build integrity in your life. And so you're under a lot of pressure right now, but you're going to stick with what you know is right. Or maybe it's a this, you, God's building a, the fruit of the spirit of self-control in your life right now. And you're, you're a couple of times you're in danger of just losing it. And yet God's saying, no, I want you, even in the difficult times, to hold it together and mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And, and so I think the the key way you know uh, what whether you're being tested or just refined and and character build built is go to God and ask Him. You know, God, what is what what is happening right now? What are you doing in my life? How how do you want me to respond to this? And um, and sometimes it's just okay. We're going to just take your humility to another level. You uh, uh, you're, you're you know, you've had a you know you've had a pretty good uh, uh, smooth life uh, for the most part, but it's also made you kind of insensitive to people that have hard lives. You have a lot of pat answers. Uh, I I just feel like to really have empathy for others who suffer, you you're just going to need to have a bit of hardship yourself. And yeah. so, you know, there's a lot of ways where God can be just refining you, making you a better person, more sensitive, more humble more God dependent and he'll be working in some area of your life, probably all of your life. But then there are also testings. And of course, testings, um, it's not as if God needs to test you. So he learns anything about you. He's not going to learn anything from the test. Uh, but you can learn a lot from the test. Yeah. And it seems as if sometimes, um, God, uh, tests us, uh, and, what, how we respond to the test determines what we do next. Um, and that's one of the ways I know if it's a test or not is, is there an opportunity on the other side? Um, mm-hmm. And now if you fail the test, you might never know what that opportunity was. Uh, if you, I, I remember one time years ago, there was a pastor that um, he, he acted very poorly uh, towards some people, just very pridefully, arrogantly, with a lack of integrity. And then, unbeknownst to him, he was actually considered for a a great job. But these people knew my dad quite well, and so they called my dad, and they said, hey, do you know this guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, we're considering from this job. What do you think? Uh, And my dad was just freshly aware of how this person had behaved. And uh, and dad just kind of with, uh, uh, you, I mean, he wasn't trying to throw the guy under the bus, but he said, well, you, you know, here, here's his good qualities. Here's here's some things I've seen that are, are, are great that he has capacity for. But I think you should also be aware that he just did this. And it's common knowledge among a lot of the pastors here right now. And 
Um, and it cost them the job. They decide, well, that's well, we need someone that would be able to handle that kind of situation better. He never knew that he that he was being tested. He mm-hmm. he he never, as far as I know, never did know that he lost a job because uh, of how he acted. But that was in a sense a test where had he risen to the occasion and uh, acted Christ-like, uh, he, there would have been a totally different uh, reference that would have been given. You know, I remember with my dad years ago, I mean, he went for about 17 years, he, he moved to Canada, and for 17, 18 years, um, there was a lot of character building, a lot of faith building. He, he had no money, uh, things were small, he had to depend upon God to, for his provision for all kinds of things. And just over the years, I don't know how many of those were tests and how many of those God was just trying to help my dad to grow and to trust him and to not quit and to persevere. And for, you know, 17 years or so, a lot of difficult, challenging times took place. And my parents were faithful. They remained joyful. Um, and But my dad grew through all that. And uh, And I think, again, maybe that's one of the differences between a test and a character build is what what's the result uh if if your faith is growing your character is growing uh then it's probably you're probably in a character building uh moment uh but then i I remember uh, after about 17 years or so of that my dad faced two two kind of tests uh quite close together uh one was that someone just went around and began lying about my dad uh, someone that was kind of jealous of my dad and and told some lies about him and wrote letters to people just filled with untruths about my dad. And uh, ultimately, someone got one of those letters and mailed it to my dad and said, hey, do you, are you aware that this guy is saying all this about you? And, and uh, I, I learned about that. And so I asked my dad, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to expose this guy? Are you going to call him out? Are you going to you know, tell the truth about him? And, and I'll never forget, Dad just said, well, uh, when I became a follower of Jesus, I, I gave him my reputation, and now I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave my reputation in his hands. God can do with it whatever he wants. And I, at the time, I thought, well, I'd, just my flesh would really want this guy to pay for <laughs> these lies, yeah. and this guy smiles to my face and calls me his friend, and then he's writing these letters behind my back. He needs to be called out. Dad never did that. Uh, Dad just left it in God's hands and moved on. He said, I'm not going to get all bitter and bend out of shape about what other people are doing. That would just cause my heart to not be right. Uh, and then uh, our, as our denomination was beginning to grow, uh, several jobs came up that my dad, hands down, was the most qualified person to get the job. And uh, and each job, they all, they, they, they kept, dad was, uh, was uh, recommended for all of them because he was the obvious person. He was the most experienced, had the most success in those fields, and yet, for various reasons, he was bypassed on everyone. And I remember at a certain point, my dad was even just wondering, like, uh, have I sinned? Is God not pleased with me? Why is it that uh, all these jobs are going to people that have much less experience, much less success than I do, but they're getting the jobs and not me? Um, And so he actually went to God and and prayed and spent a, a couple of days before God to say, I just want to make sure everything's good. Am I good with you, God? Is my heart right? Is there something I need to confess? And, 
And after several days, he just felt as if God said, no, things are good. Just uh, everything's great. And so my dad just said, well, okay, good. God, if you just want to leave me where I am, that's fine too. I don't need to have any other job. I, what I'm doing is, is wonderful and that's fine. Um, and, uh, and then just shortly after that, uh, he is approached about writing Experiencing God. Mm. And I've always felt like that was a test. Those two incidents where he's being attacked, criticized, he's being passed over for jobs that he's more than qualified to do, um, could easily have just made him feel entitled and like, I put my time in, I deserve this, I'm going to complain and shout and denounce people that didn't hire me when I was, and he just refused to do that. He just said, look, God my life's in your hands. I fully believe if you wanted me to have any of those jobs, no person could keep me from having that job. And so I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to second guess. I'm not going to become bitter at others. Uh, I'm just, Lord, as long as you're happy with me, then it doesn't matter what job I have. And I really truly feel like when God, I think my dad passed both those tests. And then all of a sudden, the biggest invitation that that swept him up into a stratosphere, traveling the world, meeting with world leaders, uh, discipling CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. If he'd gotten any of those jobs in Canada, he would have never had the time to do all that he did, travel the world. Yeah. And, uh, and, and looking back, you realized... Yeah, that God didn't want him to have any of those jobs. If he did, he would have worked it out. But he wanted to see how my dad could handle not having those smaller jobs. And when he demonstrated, God, I, it doesn't matter to me, then God gave him a, a much bigger job than he would have ever had mm-hmm. otherwise. And so to me, I've always felt like those were some tests. And you know they were tests because immediately after he handled them well, suddenly it's like, okay, I th- then I think you're ready to go to the next level. Yeah, uh, and I think sometimes we sort of know. Well, maybe I, I didn't pass the test. We, but we don't always know what was missed because the the opportunity just yeah. never comes. Uh, we never get that job offer. Uh, God doesn't uh, take our ministry to another level, uh, and we can only wonder uh, what might God have done had I done a better job on that test that came my way. And so I think whether God's building your character, whether He's testing you. Clearly, you want to you want to do the right thing. You want yeah. to lean into Him. You want to rise above maybe your natural inclination to be upset or petty or angry, and um, and just say, God, what's the godly, Holy Spirit directed response that I need to take right now? And if you keep doing that, not only are you going to grow, and your character is going to become more like Christ. But along the way, I think some doors are going to open to you because you passed the test along the way as well. Yeah. Well, thanks, Verna, for, for writing in those questions. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Richard, for answering them. Open more questions, too. That's great. Uh, sometimes we're, we're trying to think, well, what should we talk about this week? But uh, then people send some great questions, well, and uh, we're, we're happy to it, tackle It certainly them. makes our job easier when, yeah. uh, when we have questions before us that we can answer. And so we always welcome those. You can uh, reach out, podcast at Blackaby org to send us those questions and uh, we'll see you guys next time 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.